Welcome to another episode of my podcast. My name is Misha Bush, and today I'm speaking to one of the world's leading experts in regenerative agriculture, Mr. Charles Massey. He's an advocate of regenerative farming as an alternative way for conventional methods and a research associate at the Australian National University. He's also the author of the acclaimed book, Call of the Reed Warbler, and a living example of how to run a profitable farming business in a regenerative way. I hope you will enjoy this interview. If you like this or other interviews on this channel, please subscribe, uh, leave a thumbs up or leave a comment below to let us know what you think. You can also follow me on social media at Misha.Bush. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And now without further ado, let's dive right into the interview. One of the things I would like to talk to you about is uh, something you're a big advocate of, which is how regenerative farming can uh, solve pressing issues in terms of uh, climatological and ecological issues. Um, yeah. Um, as it's one of the ways that you advocate is one of the ways to reverse the damage that we as humans have caused to uh, the planet, to our planetary systems. Um, could you, uh, just as an introduction, b- briefly explain to us uh, how that works? Yeah, well, I think uh, certainly uh, we need to go back to how uh, planet Earth actually evolved. It's four and a half billion years old. And about 3.8 billion years ago, the first life evolved in the ocean. And cut a long story short, uh, we then had the first bacteria about 3.1 billion years starting to release oxygen. So what I'm getting to is that it was life that created conditions for life on Earth. That was actually the evolution of life, first the bacteria, then the critters that came on the land, then the great forests released oxygen. So life created this planet with its nine integrated systems that sustains this thin envelope for life. What we've done, the industrial world post the Second World War, is now start to destabilise those nine delicate systems. And other than getting humans to stop using fossil fuel. One of the very best ways, for example, of addressing um, climate warming, which is one of the nine systems, is regenerative agriculture. Um, And we we now know um, from the work of Paul Hawken, who uh, who wrote the book Drawdown, and he got 70 scientists to examine uh, 80, 100 best methods to pull down carbon dioxide. Mm And I've, I've got to know, uh, work with Paul, uh, he's based in California, and uh, when the final re- report came out, out of the top 20 best methods, 10 of them were regenerative agriculture. Wow. And, and uh, we discussed it, and, and if you put them all together, that 10, and call it Regen Ag, it's number one at pulling down carbon dioxide right. out of the atmosphere and putting it in the soil. In a way, it's it's working with those five landscape functions, the solar energy, which puts the carbon in. Ironically, that's where our fossil fuels came from. Mm-hmm. And from that, with the healthy soils, you get uh, a really healthy water cycle, which regenerative ag- agriculture can a- assist because the more carbon in the soil, the more water you can store instead of wasting it, etc. And And then the other flow on is the biodiversity. Um, once you get all that working, keeping your ground covered with good solar panels, 
having the carbon going in and good water, you get rich biodiversity and that's pest control for our food crops and nature and all that. So that's why I'm very positive. Uh, regenerative agriculture has some of the very best approaches to this Anthropocene crisis, the destabilization of those planetary systems, right. which, which is not just climate, but it's biodiversity. You know, humans have now triggered the sixth greatest extinction event in the history of the planet. And it's, and it's water and phosphorus and nitrogen and all that. So I think it's a great story in, in, a, in a negative time. Right. And do you think it's getting enough attention if you look at the media or, or government policy or maybe uh, anybody focusing on, on solutions? No. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is that you have to look at... Uh, Western capitalism and um, the ruling philosophy is endless growth, economic rationalism. And that's underpinned by all the greatest, most powerful organisations on earth, the big multinationals who are behind industrial agriculture, the big pharmaceutical, chemical companies, the oil companies, the big food processors. They're not interested in, in a solution like the, in this. They're just interested in the, uh, in the dollars. So that, in a way, uh, I call regenerative agriculture an underground insurgency. You know, we're, we're the ones taking on the big power through the underneath the soil, the underground bit. And um, it's an exciting story. And um, and we now know it's it's accelerating around the world. Yeah. That's a very good thing to, to hear. Um, when you're talking about that pushback, um, I, I was watching the ABC news documentary about your work. And one spokesperson uh, was quoted, if we all went regenerative, farmers would not be able to produce the amount of produce that they do now. It's probably a, a question or like sort of a prejudice that you get to hear very often. Like, how can you feed the world with that? Um, but but why it do is. you think they say that? And, and, and do you think they know it's not true or is there a truth in there? Or how do you feel about that kind of statement? I think they can't conceive of a world where the big powers and the big industrial farming doesn't control the whole process. I mean, if you look at the facts, um, this comes from the United Nations FAO in the last two years. Over 70% of the world's food comes off peasant agriculture on five acres and less, two hectares and less, over 70%. If you move that to five hectares, it's probably 75, 80%. And there's a lot of country that we could put into food production. So it's a complete lie that uh, we need them to do this. We, we can do, we can both feed the world probably double the number if we went about it in a healthy ecological way without their chemicals and, and uh, the industrial approach. So right. um, I, I see that as a, as a disingenuous um, misinformation, let's be polite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And is, is regenerative, regenerative agriculture completely uh, capable to compete with the sort of the scale and the industrial power that, that is currently used in conventional farming mostly? Yes, it is. But I think, um, I think if we're going to move to a world where we produce enough food without all the harm that comes from industrial agriculture, and, and I'm talking about um, um, 
destruction of our environment, our biodiversity, our soils, our water, and human health. Don't forget that huge cost of what the industrial food and chemicals have done to us. Um, we, we have to uh, move to a world where the farms become smaller and, and more farmers. Uh, and, and, you know, Russia is a great example compared to a socialist approach. Uh, most of the food comes off five, about 5% 5 of the land. So once you get small committed farmers on, on uh, you know, a bit like the time when our, our great grandparents would have grown up eating healthy food. The farms were like, I think, I think we'll, we will see a combination of some large ongoing um, uh, examples of, of what's happening now. But uh, I think we're going to see more small farmers and, and urban people and urban backyards, community gardens, et cetera, et cetera, start to fill the space as well. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and what's happening in region ag and cropping and grazing is that the best of the modern big technology is being adapted um, to do organic or regenerative farming as well. So, yes, there will still be the big operations, but I think some of the land sizes will, will become smaller. Yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, 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 yep, yeah, yep. yeah. So you're saying there will be more people actually involved in agriculture um, and maybe the land will be used more productively uh, per hectare, per acre? Absolutely. And, and I think it won't just be um, farms, it'll be community gardens. I mean, I think, I can give you one example. In America and Australia, with, with their green lawns that we have around our urban houses, the amount of fertiliser and chemical and water is equivalent to our sixth, fifth or sixth biggest agricultural crop. If we, if we start converting more of those to healthy, organically grown home vegetables and food or, or community gardens, um, it's going to be that sort of thing and, and the urban fringes and uh, community gardens, etc. that's also going to fill part of the gap. So. The secret is to connect, connecting people to healthy food because what we've done with industrial food is, is you know, if you look post-Second World War, the exponential rise of all of our modern diseases, cancers, obesity, ADHD, autism, etc. the majority of that is connected to the lack of nutrient richness in our food off dead soils, and then things like glyphosate or Roundup that's got into our gut microbiome and disturbed our entire health system. I mean, the two are directly related, even though there's a lag effect um, for, for the disease epidemiology to appear. So yeah. uh, we, can, we, can, you know, we can have win-win at the same time. We can grow healthy food and turn that disease situation around. That's, it's a big story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds huge, but, but because I think there's uh, there's not enough coverage on that also on those causes of the diseases. Obviously, the medical world is not famous for treating the root of illnesses in general, but but this is definitely something that uh, must be overlooked by a lot of people. I'm sure you or your listeners may have heard of I have heard of Dr. Zach Bush, yes. a leading researcher in America on um, autism. And he and many others now are starting to show just how important 
healthy, nutrient-rich food is for our, uh, not just our normal health, which we're adapted for, but for our microbiome in our gut, which is where most of the food is processed, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think that is a huge story and there's wonderful research you can get on YouTube, et cetera, that's starting to explain all that. Great. Yeah, yeah. I would definitely recommend everybody to, uh, to, to watch that. Um, one thing uh, earlier on, you, you mentioned already the acceleration, uh, sorry, acceleration of, let's say, the transition from conventional to regenerative farming and uh, more and more farmers switching to regenerative. Do you think you could give an estimation of the percentage of uh, conventional farmed land that is being switched to regenerative use per year? I don't think it's been calculated. I, I, I do know that um, the big prairie grass, grasslands in America and Australia and Africa and South America, there's now tens of millions of hectares moving to ecological grazing and better health and healthier meats and fibre. Right. Um, those of us in this space that are doing a lot of talking at meetings and, and conventions and things, uh, that the number of people that are now turning up, you know, when we started six, seven years ago, you might get 20 or 30 people and a couple of sheepdogs. Now they're in the hundreds and growing. And um, so I would say, if, if you think about the innovation adoption curve, we've probably gone from the, um, into the early majority phase. So that's past the 10 or 15%. So it looks like it's growing very quickly. Right, right. So it's, it's, it's like a snowball effect where we're going to see that accelerating faster and faster uh, at some point. That's right. And, and there's reasons for that. Um, human health, uh, the growing interest from uh, urban population in, in healthy food and, and tasty food, because modern industrial foods are bereft of nutrients and the taste is gone. You've only got to buy a, a, a you know, food off a garden that uh, like your gra great grandparents might have eaten mm -hmm. uh, from an organic or, or uh, regenerative farm to, to taste the difference. And that's all about nutrients. And, and we co-evolved over a million years for those primary nutrients and the minerals and what are called the phytochemicals, the, the secondary chemicals. And if you don't have them in your food, your, your immune system and your whole function is, is compromised. I've, I've spoken to some people who also believe that um, perhaps we need to, I mean, it, it wouldn't be a, a bad thing uh, in general, but, but in order to, to sustain a 100% regenerative agricultural uh, world, let's say, we would also need to switch our diet a, a bit away from, um, from carbs, from, from grains. What, what do you think about that? Is it, is it possible to, to keep producing the same foods uh, that we do now? Or is that, would that be a good thing to, uh, to support a better transition? I think it'll be a bit of both. I mean, um, uh, and I won't get into the vegan meat diet issue, uh, right, but we right. did evolve to have, you know, if you think about animals grazing on a landscape, um, uh, they're not just eating a plant. Um, uh, when the hunters go and get them, when, when, when we evolved in Africa, uh, the women gatherers were, were probably identifying 500 different food plants, like most indigenous people. And the hunters were off hunting meat. But those animals 
had been grazing a landscape with um, tens of thousands of phytochemicals in them, which we co-evolved for, for our immune system. So uh, there's an argument to have healthy meat, I believe. Um, and, and maybe we're, our diet certainly is, is maybe got too much grain, but the big issue with our diet is the processed food, the junk food, which, which is bereft of all those chemicals, the sugars and the starch, the big multinational processes, the white goods have got to sit on a shelf for up to 12 months, all, all the good nutrients are gone, whereas fresh food is full of the nutrients of healthy, of healthy land. So it's, it's a combination of maybe um, not as much meat, not as much grain, but accessing food off healthy soils because it's the soil biology that puts the nutrients into the plants. Without, without them, the plants are only drug addicts waiting for the fertiliser. And I'll give you an example. In one of the secret of, secrets of the biology is, is what's called the root fungus, the microhazel fungi, fungus. Mm -hmm. In a healthy soil, if you can imagine a cubic metre, and, and these fungus have a, a partnership with the plants. They get the sugars from the plant's photosynthesis, and they're part of the bargain, uh, symbiosis is to go off and source all the nutrients for the plants. That's, that's, that's the exchange. And in a healthy cubic meter, these fungus might have 20,000 kilometers of the little feeding tubes. If we go and spray and fertilize with industrial chemicals, you kill all that. And so you've got drug addict crops just waiting for a bit of nitrogen, phosphorus from the industrial fertilizer. None of the tens of thousands of nutrients that the nature would be bringing in for you. And that, that's part of the root cause of the modern health crisis. So, you know, the secret is, as you see, a good balance of greens, meat, grain, starch, whatever, as long as it comes from healthy soil, where, where the biologies put the nutrients in. How long would it take if you if you switch uh, the average conventional farm or farmland to regenerative use and you put in the the effort to to make that transition? How long will it take to to get that cubic meter up to up to that level where the the fungi are are uh, operating in a good manner? Look, that depends on how good the management is, how rich the climate, heavy the rainfall. Uh, you know, in, in Semi-desert country, it takes a lot longer because the conditions aren't, you know, all those sort of things. Yeah. But we do know, uh, and, and to shift, um, like in our situation where we ran beautiful, we run beautiful merino sheep for elite wool fibre. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to fertilise with industrial fertiliser and, and bad grazing, um, bad management. And it takes about five years to get your biology going and, and get your ground cover healthy and the carbon going in. Uh, and the same in cropping. I mean, you, you can switch to big cropping machinery overnight and, and start putting in natural fertilizers and, and different diversity of crops, but it still takes time to build a biology. And that's just dependent on how rich your environment is, the rainfall and all that. But uh, so can't answer that, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, it's it can be quick. Right. Um, one other thing regarding this topic, I was wondering, 
we we've seen a huge acceleration of uh, the switch from solar to wind power and to electric cars. Um, and when it comes to electric cars, one of the big drivers of that has been uh, Tesla, a private company or a, 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 a money-making company, not government push. Do you see any uh, value of big companies or innovative technology that could play a role in the uh, the transition to regenerative regenerative agriculture and the acceleration of that? Oh, absolutely. There's already farmers in Australia um, cropping just on solar energy with panels on their machines. Don't have to use any industrial fuels. Mm -hmm. um, and in some of our big landscapes up in centre of Australia, where a farm might be a million hectares and very rough country, you can't build nice fences. Modern technology with what's called virtual fencing, where you have electronic collars on the animals and uh, they will detect a signal which will stop them going further. So you're saving all that steel in making fences with, with sort of modern technology of electronics. So there's all those things um, on the horizon and, and, uh, and it is quite possible to reduce the industrial impact of, of um, you know, the making of steel or um, fossil fuels, et cetera. So uh, I think your example of Tesla is just typical. I mean, the, the innovation capacity of humanity is wonderful especially now if we focus on saving the planet and, and, and human health rather than just making dollars for the sake of it. Right. Yeah. And w what would you say are the biggest um, like uh, hurdles right now for, for, for uh, keep going on with that transition um, that could be solved either in a, in a technological way or in a whatever other way, what, what are the biggest obstacles right now? You're full of all the easy questions tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, 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 they're, they're good questions. Um, well, I think, I think I've alluded to the biggest obstacle, which is the ruling paradigm of our society of endless growth, economic rationalism, and all the power that goes with it. So we have to rethink that. We need a bottom-up, not top-down, power-down. We need bottom-up drive from the consumer seeking healthy food um, and then the, this growing number of farmers to grow it in a way that nurtures the planet and, and human health. Um, so that's the biggest obstacle. And, and so I guess that means paradigms, you know, worldviews. It's very hard to change them. So we need better education, uh, better encouragement. We, we need government policy to encourage this, but it, it's still more favouring, you know, the, the, the traditional... Um, and what we call a big end of town, the big powers. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's other blockages, but they're the key ones. Right. And, and um, you mentioned uh, consumers switching to healthy diets and more farmers switching to regenerative ag. What, what would be uh, one or two things that, that, um, um, that people, the, the consumers have, could do to... Uh, to promote those, both of those things? Well, I, th I think making a decision, say if you're a family with children or even just yourselves, making a decision to prolong your health and happiness by buying healthy food full of nutrients, which comes off 
the organic farms, the community farms. So going to your local produce markets um, where they grow this uh, this food, or the community garden, or growing your own a few a few of your own vegetables in your backyard if you if you have that if you're not in a flat. Um, those, those sorts of things are consumer-driven um, change that can be uh, have major impact because then it supports the farmers that are producing this healthy food that that's renewing the planet. So right. that'd be the number one method. But then we need better education. You know, I, I can give you an example. A friend of mine teaches at a school in in Melbourne, and they got the uh, primary children aged sort of um, five up to ten to grow their own vegetables. And most of those children did not like eating green food, lettuce and cabbage and things. But once they grew it, they loved eating the greens. So it's just little things on educating our children to uh, preserve the planet and eat, eat healthy food right. and understand it does taste better. Uh, and other forms of education at university. You know, Australia now has only just got its first university course in regenerative agriculture. Uh, but last year, it had the most enrolments of any agriculture course in Australia. So that's a sign things are changing. Yeah, yeah, that sounds very good. And, and do you think it's the same with farmers? So those, those little changes and little points of education, is that also what, would, what will drive farmers to make that step and change over to regenerative ag? It's in Australia where we get more droughts and uh, the big commodity producers keep forcing the price down. There's, there's more and more economic hardship. Uh, our landscapes are getting uh, more destroyed. And so more and more farmers realise if they keep going, they will go broke, bankrupt. There has to be a better way. And, and it's those sort of farmers. It's, it's often... Um, takes a hammer to crack the, the eggshell of our mind. That's what happened to me, a, a shock that makes you think differently. Yeah. And that's where my book came from was my PhD asking the question, why did these regenerative farmers change? And for at least 60%, it was a major shock that made them think differently. And um, so what's happening now, whether it's drought or, or losing money because of low prices, Etc. Uh, Etc. Et they realise there has to be a better way, and they're discovering it's regenerative agriculture which can make you viable. You reduce your costs enormously, and and you have a more resilient landscape, and you're not creating bare ground through droughts. So um, that's that's part of the reason why there's a big shift. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's really people waking up because their situation is forcing them into it. Well, I think there's uh, worldwide enough fertile ground and uh, conditions to to push farmers all over the world to, to change in that regard. Um, so from that perspective, I, I guess it's a very positive one. Um, I have a concluding question for you, uh, which depending on your answer is a bit, uh, is positive or negative. Um, how big do you estimate the chance that humanity can, well, pull it off and, and fix the damage that we have created before it's too late? And maybe that's a very broad question, but particular from an agricultural perspective. It, it's not a broad question. It, it is the number one question now confronting our species. Uh, some of the uh, people I work with are the, some leading planetary scientists 
both in Australia, but attached to the Stockholm Resilience Institute. The leading scientists, and there's about 99% of them in agreement, the Anthropocene now is our greatest challenge. They're saying we have maybe only one generation, 25 years, to turn this around. Uh, personally, I believe it'd be good if we didn't have politicians, um, but I believe through individual action from the consumer and regenerative farming, and then increasing change. You know, what's happened in America is now it got to be a help, for example, and Europe's quite advanced in, in some of their thinking on industrial agriculture and regenerative. Um, we have to be positive, but we do only have one generation to turn it. That's the urgency. You know, it, it makes, makes a crisis like a Second World War look very small compared to the fact that our species may die out uh, by the end of this century if we do not uh, get constructive and make major moves. Okay, but but how, how big do you, uh, could you put a, if you had to put a figurative number on it, like could you put a percentage on it, how big you, you guess the, the, the chance that we're gonna, that it's gonna work? I swing between being despondent and being optimistic. It's very hard to tell. I mean, it's only going to take a few enlightened leaders uh, and a few major companies. I mean, we've seen the disinvest movement uh, in investment in America, getting out of fossil fuels. If we can get a, a major momentum to shift, sometimes you can get a tipping point very quickly, and that's what we need. So I'm, I'm not giving up on being more optimistic than pessimistic, but we do only have two or three decades. That's the urgency. And so that's why regenerative agriculture, both for the planet and human health, is so important because two or three of the major modern human health diseases will destroy most modern economies within two decades. Yeah. So the two go together. Uh, human health, planetary health will give up. Clear. Well, uh, a lot of work to do then. Um, I, I want to thank you very much for your time today and also um, for what you're doing, because obviously you are uh, one of the, the main leaders in this field, uh, driving that push that you described yourself just now. Uh, so, so thank you for that. Um, and, and, and thanks again for your time. I, uh, uh, Apologize again for the uh, the time zone mix up. So I hope it doesn't uh, get in the way of you having your dinner or anything like that. Not not your fault. And uh, thank you for what you're doing with your program too, Michelle. So uh, uh, we're all working together. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, I'll let you go. Thanks. Thanks again, and uh, I wish you a great day, great evening. Okay. All the best. Same right. there. Bye bye. Bye.